It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. To you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 413 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Hella Spicy. It is June 2nd, 2023. And this is Jen. I'm going to start off with um, something related to Pride Month because that's where we're at in June. And this one specifically is a post from Blizzard about Overwatch titled Celebrate Pride in Overwatch 2. And they have some things for players to use. I'm going to read you a couple of paragraphs here about that if you are someone who is playing the game still. Um, I've never played it again because I'm on a Mac and it doesn't go there. I might get it on... I don't know if it's got... I don't know if it's on Xbox, but in any case, this is what was written. Pride is coming to Overwatch 2. Overwatch 2 is a joyful escape for millions of players worldwide. We always set out to create a futuristic world that is worth fighting for, where everyone feels seen and celebrated. This game is only worthy of that hopeful world if people can connect with our heroes and see themselves in the universe. We want pride to be that for our players. And just as important, we want that for ourselves. One thing we have heard from both players and Overwatch team members alike is that seeing themselves in the game over the years has helped them find the strength and courage to show the world who they are. We are a diverse development team, and it's important to us that the universe we are creating Creating the world that we pour our passion and energy into represents us and represents a world that we want to be a part of. The work that we are putting in front of the world is an extension of ourselves. A core tenet of Overwatch 2 is giving everyone a chance to play the way they want by choosing between different roles, unique playstyles, and diverse heroes that best fit each person's individuality. Outside of matches, we want people playing Overwatch 2 to have a way to proudly celebrate who they are. Cosmetics such as player icons and name cards are a means to represent that for those who want a reflection of themselves in our universe. Beginning on June 1st, everybody that logs into Overwatch 2 will receive an extensive collection of profile profile player icons and name cards celebrating the many diverse identities that make up the tapestry of this fantastic community. The full list of cosmetics can be found below. And we have um, a silhouette of Tracer running across a little narrow thing with like a rainbow thing going on. Um, So that's what they put there. So the name cards allow you to choose how you identify within the game and you'll notice specific ones dedicated to some of our LGBTQ plus heroes. You'll find a lesbian card for Tracer, a gay card for Soldier 76, a pansexual card for Lifeweaver, as well as a bisexual card for Baptiste and a lesbian card for Farah. For years, players have speculated on the sexual orientation of Baptiste and Farah, and we are thrilled to not only include them in these Pride cosmetics, but also to publish a brand new short story focusing on their identities, each other, and themselves. 
um, goes on from here. There's If you scroll down, there's a little more. Well, there's a lot more, but I'm not going to read all of it right now. Beyond what we are doing in-game, Pride is an opportunity for us to give back and support the LGBTQ plus community. We invite you to head to the Blizzard Gear Store to explore a range of Pride-themed apparel curated by the Blizzard LGBT plus employee network with Blizzard's net proceeds from the sales from May 16 through June 30, 2023, being donated to the National Center for Transgender Equality, NCTE. NCTE's mission statements speaks to the core of what we are striving to do in making a better world within the Overwatch universe. Quote, the National Center for Transgender Equality advocates to change policies in society to increase understanding and acceptance of transgender people. In the nation's capital and throughout the country, NCTE works to replace disrespect, discrimination, and violence with empathy, opportunity, and justice. For more, there's a link in this um, article, and everything I talk about in today's show will be in the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com. There's a couple of examples of t-shirts that have the Overwatch logo in the colors of the trans flag. Um, you know, like each letter is, you know, corresponds to how the trans flag looks. I purchased one. There's Diablo ones, so I got one of those, and I'm going to wear it to Pride on Sunday. So I think that's going to be fun. Um, and then there's, you can look at all the icons. There's a bunch of uh, player icons, and they are labeled so you know what these colors are representing if that's you uh or if it's someone you know if you see someone in game with that color of flag on their character i have never played overwatch i don't know exactly how that goes but if someone has a, a flag that you don't recognize you can look at this and that would tell you what it is so that's kind of a neat thing there's also name cards with uh, that correspond to those flags so that's that's pretty cool actually that they're doing that and the thing i love the most about it is one it's actually helping an organization that um, is trying to protect trans people because if you're in the united states or possibly in the uk uh, there's a lot of trans people that are getting treated very terribly for no good reason at all so this is a good thing but also this isn't like corporate saying we want to make money off of this because people like pride it's also that you know this is the community within blizzard that group that wants to make these things because they want to see themselves reflected just like everybody else that plays video games has you know some connection to the characters because there's there's something in common that sort of thing so i think it's a really good idea um it might be one of the best things that um blizzard and activision have done compared to what i'm going to talk about so we'll move on you may have heard last uh, episode in case you missed it secret lab uh has two chairs that you could have pre-ordered one of them uh features inarius and one of them features lilith and on let's see what date this was may 26th secret lab wrote this on their twitter account thanks to your immense support the Secret Lab Diablo 4 collection has sold out, but the door to hell remains open. Pre-order the Secret Lab Diablo 4 collection now. Fight for Sanctuary while backed by award-winning comfort. So I pre-ordered one, and I'm hoping it'll arrive. I, it is my understanding that they might show up in September, <laughs> maybe? And I'll let you know how that goes. If and when it arrives at my door, we'll see. Google is actually doing something good, which is something I 
typically didn't think I'd be saying in this episode or anywhere else. Um, you know, there used to be some of you that are as old as I am remember, you know, Google saying something like, I can't remember the phrase exactly, but it was like, you know, be good or something like that. And uh, that kind of concept, I can't remember the exact phrase, but they have created something called Project Game Face. It is an open source, hands-free gaming mouse that lets you control a cursor with head movements and facial gestures. And there's a little bit more about that. They have a link to it from the, the tweet that I saw. It's titled this, Introducing Project Game Face, a hands-free AI-powered gaming mouse. Project Game Face, a new open-source, hands-free gaming mouse, enables users to control a computer's cursor using their head movement and facial gestures. And there is a person that was doing this. He is a... Uh, the project was inspired by the story of quadriplegic video game streamer Lance Carr, who lives with muscular dystrophy, a progressive disease that weakens muscles. Lance refused to let his physical limitations keep him from his love of gaming, so he used a head-tracking mouse to control his cursor. In 2021, Lance's house caught fire while he was gaming one night, and it was all caught on a live stream and watched by gamers around the globe. Lance lost all of his online gaming equipment in the fire, including the expensive head-tracking mouse, which is the primary technology that enabled him to play computer games. After hearing Lance's story, we knew we had to help, so we worked with Lance to co-design Project Game Face, a hands-free gaming mouse that uses Google Media Pipe open-source solutions. Head movements and facial gestures captured simply from a webcam are recognized by machine learning models to move the cursor accordingly. To adapt to the needs of different users, we incorporated the idea of a gesture size, which allows users to control how prominent their gesture needs to be to trigger a mouse action. There is a video in both the tweet and what I just read you here. Uh, which is pretty darn interesting overall. Um, but that's that's really great because anything with more accessibility is a good thing. It enables a lot of people that have disabilities of one kind of or, or another that makes them atypical from what a lot of gamers can do. There's a lot of people that just get on their computer keyboard or their tablet or whatever kind of game they're doing. And Google's actually doing something that does, it, it can help people to play the video games that they love uh, easier, you know? And I like that as well. I didn't know I'd be saying something good about Google, but here we are. And um, it's kind of a surprise, but I hope they keep that up. I hope it's something that they can like give out to people like Lance Carr who stream video games and just make everything easier for people with, you know, these types of disabilities. And I think that's, I think that's good. I hope this isn't just like a, look how cool we are. Okay, we're done with this project. You know, I hope it kind of continues so more people can have access to that. Wowhead has an article titled, The History of Lilith, Mother of Sanctuary and Daughter of Hatred. This was written by Nineball. You probably all know who Nineball is. He's pretty popular in the Diablo community. Maybe you've talked to him at BlizzCon or something like that. You've probably seen Westmarch Workshop, which is a podcast he does and has been doing for a very long time. And he's got all the lore in this article. There's like different sections of it and, and all of that. So if you are new to Diablo series of games, you might not know of the background lore, and he does an, just a fantastic job of 
just piecing it out, you know, in a timeline kind of thing. And it's well written. And I highly recommend if any if there's anything you come to look at on Shattered Soulstone's website after I get the show notes up, read this. Because if you don't really know anything about Lilith other than what you saw in maybe the the beta, the alpha, the server slam, that kind of stuff, um, this is this is a really good uh, background on it. Absolutely, he does wonderful lore. I think he's better at this than I am, and yeah. So go read it if if you're new to it. Like I I've been seeing online some of I can't remember if it was a game dev or which one, but also people who just have been playing Diablo games since the first one back in the 90s, like what I was doing, they're kind of thinking, yeah, you know, I figure that people would know about these things, but these kids would have been 10 years old when, you know, when Diablo came out and, you know, or something like that, or maybe Diablo 2. And it's kind of weird to think about that because, you know, here's the game devs making these fantastic games and, Know, who know the lore, who are using incorporating it into the games and, you know, that sort of thing. And then you think back and you're like, yeah, these kids that just want to run in and play Diablo 4 right now, they don't have any background on, like, Diablo 2 or the original Diablo, any of that. So how do we get them to know what that is? Well, Nineball did it for them, <laughs> if they're going to look at Wowhead specifically. And then we start to talk about Activision Blizzard, and I have an article here from Axios. It's titled, Activision Blizzard Substantiated More Than Two Dozen Misconduct Incidents by Employees Last Year, written by Stephen Totillo, who's the author of Axios Gaming, if I'm saying that right. So here's, here's Axios. They tend to put things in little bullet points for you. So here's some of it. Activision Blizzard saw an uptick in employee reports of misconduct in late 2022, a rise the company attributes to greater scrutiny of the issues. Driving the news, the Game Maker's inaugural transparency report released Wednesday says the company received 114 reports of harassment, discrimination, or retaliation by its employees last year. Investigators substantiated 29 of them, some of which involved multiple employees. Details. The company says it took over three dozen corrective actions as a result of those incidents, including terminating workers for discriminatory language, physical assault, misgendering, unwanted advances, retaliation, and two cases of non-consensual touching. Quote, even one instance of harassment, discrimination, or retaliation is one too many, the Activision board wrote in the report. Quote, we have robust procedures in place to resolve workplace concerns in a neutral and fair manner and to take appropriate corrective action. The board called the increase in reported misconduct in 2022 a, quote, sign of a healthy reporting culture and effective training. The report also notes that Activision Blizzard had 15,545 full-time workers last year. Um, there's also some things here about the lawsuits. Between the lines, the transparency report was released following a request from stockholders. Last year, Activision Blizzard stockholders defied the board's recommendation and voted in favor of a shareholder proposal for the company to release a harassment report. The proposal called for a tally of misconduct reports at the game maker and an accounting of the time it took to resolve them and the amount of money spent settling misconduct claims. Microsoft released a sexual 
sexual misconduct and gender discrimination transparency report of its own last year, following similar pressure from its shareholders. What they're saying, quote, we've had every possible form of investigation done and we did not have a systemic issue with harassment ever, end quote. Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick said in an interview with Variety published Wednesday. So let's take a look at that Variety article, shall we? It is very long. There's a photo here of uh, Bobby Kotick. Kotick? Kotick? Maybe it's that. Maybe it's Kotick. And they've given him a very nice light. Like, literally, I'm not being, like, you know, making a metaphor here. But he is... There's light bouncing off his face. It's highlighting his face very well. He's got a few wrinkles. He's a little bit older, but it, it makes him look... He's got his hands folded as though he is praying in front of him with, like, his his fingers entwined. And he's looking at the camera. He's wearing, like, a nice blue shirt with, like, a white collar underneath. And I'm not sure what the purpose of this was. Um, I don't think you really want to have a CEO who has been known for some typically bad behavior. I'm just going to say that. I've said it about different things that the news has reported about him in his past. That's enough. I don't know that making him look like, you know, uh, a martyred saint here or one about to be martyred is a good idea, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's just my opinion. This was written by Cynthia Littleton. It's titled Bobby Kotick Breaks His Silence Embattled Activision CEO Addresses Toxic Workforce Claims as a Microsoft Deal Hangs in the Balance. This thing is hella long, so I'm just going to give you little parts of it. Bobby Kotick has a secret. He was ready to buy Time Warner a few years ago. The CEO Activision Blizzard drops this nugget early on while sitting at the company's Santa Monica headquarters for his first extensive interview since 2012. It is a Friday afternoon in mid-April, which means the office is mostly deserted. Huge replicas of characters and actual backdrops from the video game giant's roster of franchises, including Call of Duty, Diablo, Overwatch, and Candy Crush, dot the landscape of the open architecture space. The quiet in the building and the low mid-afternoon light give the place a slightly spooky funhouse vibe. Quote, We'd take their IP and turn it into games. They'd take our IP and turn it into film and television. And we'd have an extraordinary company, Kodak said sketching out his vision for a deal in an alternate universe in which AT&T never bought Time Warner and Activision took it on instead. In reality, the Justice Department lost its lawsuit to block the sale of Time Warner to AT&T, but during the first half of 2018, when the fate of the $85.4 billion Time Warner purchase hung in the balance, Activision Blizzard took a cue from its Call of Duty commandos. It stockpiled financial ammunition and waited patiently for an op opening to pounce. Um, goes on from there a little bit, skipping ahead. Kodak 60 is remarkably sanguine, sanguine, sanguine for a CEO fighting battles on multiple fronts. He's in a similar predicament to the one that AT&T and Time Warner were in five years ago, as he spent the past 18 months and counting lobbying regulators to approve the sale of Activision Blizzard to Microsoft for $69 billion in cash. What's more, Activision Blizzard over the past five years has been the focus of harassment and gender equality probes from an alphabet soup of federal 
and state agencies, from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to the Securities and Exchange Commission to California's Civil Rights Department. Kodak has been accused of turning a blind eye and failing to act to address internal culture issues, particularly at the Blizzard unit. In a lawsuit filed against Activision in 2021, California's Civil Rights Department alleges that, quote, women were subjected to constant sexual harassment, including groping, comments, and advances, and that the company's executives and human resources personnel knew of the harassment and failed to take reasonable steps to prevent the unlawful conduct and instead retaliated against women who complained. End quote. The complaint also accuses Activision of having, quote, fostered a sexist culture and paid women less than men and assigned women to lower level jobs than men. End quote. Last year, Activision filed a counterclaim against the Civil Rights Department, accusing it of ethical lapses in its investigation and of attempting to interfere with the separate EEOC investigation and $18 million settlement reached in uh, tw- September 2021. Uh, The executive says he has been both humbled and outraged by what he considers malicious distortions about the company that he has taken great heights over two great heights over the 32 years. He makes no apologies for Activision or its culture. He says that the company is preparing to release a slew of data drawn from the EEOC investigation that he hopes will combat the perception that Activision was run as a, quote, frat house. For a company with 17,000 employees worldwide, Kodak asserts Activision has had a relatively low level of harassment and assault complaints, though he says he'll release a transparency report that will provide exculpatory data from outside entities. He acknowledges that the stain left by the sweeping allegations will be hard to combat with pie charts and statistical tables. Quote, we've had every possible form of investigation done, and we did not have a systemic issue with harassment ever. We didn't have any of what were mischaracterizations reported in the media, Codex asserts. But what we did was have a very aggressive labor movement working hard to try and destabilize the company. All right, I'm going to stop there. There were many reports of people who were harassed, who were grabbed, who were abused in a number of ways. There were, I mean, if you've been listening to this show or if you've been even just keeping up with the news as, you know, the years go by, there was a lot of really bad things happening at Activision Blizzard. And not a lot of it was, you know, had anything done to make changes to it for years it seems and i remember like there was a whole slew of people that were talking about um you know nursing mothers who needed a room where they could pump milk so that they could feed their baby after work and people were stealing it from the fridge in that room for reasons i cannot comprehend there was that there was a lot of um women saying that the men in the company, the employees would drink and things would go bad as though they were in a bar or something like that. There's a lot of these things going on that did really happen to people. So I, I think Kodak is, or Kodak is like trying very hard to pretend that never happened in this, you know, but to then turn around and say, well, Everything was fine until all those people that, that you know, our employees decided they needed to have a union. That's just asinine, honestly. That is just asinine. This is the United States. Most companies that have CEOs are going to try to be very terrible to their workers. And when it gets bad enough, people 
finally get a union. They work towards it. They work with the groups that help people to get their unions. And here's Kodak acting like those are the bad guys. Those people that wanted like better pay and less fucking harassment all the time. Those are the guys that are bad. What the hell is wrong with this man? <laughs> you know, I mean, what is wrong with this man? Uh, one more paragraph here. Uh, Kodak places the blame for most of Activision's image problems on what he calls, quote, outside forces, end quote, and labor activity around the company. The Communications Workers of America and Activision employees have filed a stream of complaints against the company with the National Labor Relations Board. Kodak believes labor organizers are influencing the state and federal investigations into harassment and gender discrimination claims, as well as the Activision employee walkouts that have been staged periodically since 2021. Who, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's a bit delusional, I think, you know, that's, uh, this is how unions work, dude. It's, if you're bad, if you're a bad company and you're treating people bad, expect a union to happen after that. You know, that's how it goes. Here's a quote here, not from him. Uh, quote, corporations choose to be disruptive when they run anti-union campaigns, says Beth Allen, communications director for the CWA. Quote, workers who join together to improve their workplaces intend to make constructive changes for the benefit of all. When employers voluntarily recognize unions and engage in good faith contract bargaining, it builds trust and strengthens companies. <laughs> uh-huh. And then it's talking about... The CWA successfully organized workers at Activision's Raven Software division earlier this month, while the CWA-backed Game Workers Alliance organized workers at an Activision unit in Albany, New York, in December. Contract talks for those workers begin next week. Over the quote, over the last few months, we've worked thoughtfully and productively with the CWA, Kodak explains, and we've engaged in a dialogue that will be beneficial for our people, the union, and the company. Now, okay. So these two groups, they have their union, but you're going to call the people that work within Activision Blizzard uh, to be like, what did he call them exactly? It was something terrible. It was like, you know, this, those people that are doing all the bad stuff. It's not us. We're just wonderful people up here in the CEO suite, right? Awful. And then there was that New York, the uh, the Wall Street Journal article where about a thousand employees signed a public petition urging Kodak to resign as CEO. Clearly, he's still there. Um, yeah, this guy, uh, you know, I don't know if he plans ahead when he starts doing these interviews. But to start off saying, yes, those people that want a union, they're the bad people. They're making everything wrong. They're lying about everything. They're making everything harder. And then to say, oh, yeah, those other guys, yeah, they have their union and everything's great. It's like, does he think? Think before he speaks. I don't know, but it's printed here and it's a pretty long article. So if you want to hear the rest of it or read the rest of it, you'll find it um, in the show notes as everything else gets there. But I'm just like, dude, you are not matching reality at all whatsoever. At all. At all. It's just sad. You know, it's just really sad. I don't know what this picture of him trying to look like a saint is, but... You know, I don't think anyone's going to fall for that. PC Gamer has an article titled Activision Blizzard CEO audaciously claims that sexism and harassment problems were made up by an, quote, aggressive labor movement, end quote, trying to, quote, destabilize the company. 
And it's kind of bouncing off of the Variety article. And it's just, you know, here's a paragraph from this one. 2021 was a very bad year for Activision Blizzard. In July of that year, California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing, now known as the Civil Rights Department, filed a lawsuit alleging widespread discrimination and sexual harassment at the company. That was followed by other investigations, the departure of numerous high-level employees, apologies, fines, multiple additional lawsuits, and significant pushback from employees who founded the ABK Workers Alliance to help drive unionization efforts and bring about other meaningful change at the company. Despite all of that, Activision Blizzard's board of directors said in June 2022 that after conducting its own internal investigation, there was no evidence of systemic gender-based misconduct at the studio. Now, Kodak is not only sticking to that story, he's taking it a step further by pointing the finger at the labor organizers. And I'll leave you to read the rest of that if you care to. Forbes has one um, about Diablo 4. So let's get right back into Diablo 4 since that's what we're all thinking about. Before I jump into some of this stuff, um, yes, I did purchase the lowest box of, of the game that you, ca- you could have that was the least expensive because I don't need all of everything. I just thought just I just want to play. I want to like go through the storyline and all that. As such, I have not been able to play Diablo 4 yet because I have to wait until the 6th. I'll get there. I'm not too worried about it. I like taking games at my own pace. So that's what it is. But I know there's a lot of people playing that got in right away because they'd gotten a higher level, higher priced box with other bells and whistles that I won't get. And, you know, it's fine. It's fine. I can wait a couple days. I don't really feel a need to rush through things. Um, I want to do this at my own pace. I had to, I felt like I was rushing through things with the betas and the server slam. They were fun. But, you know, I'm cool. It's great. It's fine. Um, So Forbes has this article titled, Diablo 4's perfect PC launch is nothing short of miraculous. And there's a picture here of someone's barbarian. Um, Don't know who's, (laughs) but someone's. And this is written by Paul Tassie, a senior contributor. I'll give you a little bit of this article. Last night, I witnessed a miracle. After the horror of Error 37, which crippled Diablo 3 at launch for days, so much so that it became a permanent Blizzard beam, I was expecting at least some level of frustration last night attempting to log on to Diablo 4 for early access. On PS5, it was indeed a bad time. Players were met with a message that they didn't have a license for the game, though that appeared to be partially on Sony's side as licenses ended up going down for multiple multiple games at a time. But on PC, this was the smoothest launch of a major online game I can remember. Seriously, the process was log into the Battle.net launcher, two minutes, start up Diablo 4 early access, greeted with four minute queue message, actually got in after four minutes, zero disconnects, zero crashes, zero noticeable bugs, negligible lag, played for five hours straight with absolutely no issues. I just dot 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 can't believe that's how it went down i was legitimately expecting not to play until friday not that i would get into the game after a four minute queue and never be booted out for any reason all night long i know it's quote what you're surprised a game works like it's supposed to end quote but yes I am. Have you seen any major online launches recently? This is an anomaly of the highest order, and I'll leave you to read. Um, I think this is the whole thing. He's got a couple more little things to talk about at the bottom here, but it just seemed like an interesting article. 
uh, because, you know, you do expect, okay, all these people are jumping in, this is going to go bad, and it didn't for him. Screen Rant has an article called Diablo 4 Review, Classic Dark Hack and Slash Done Right, written by Carrie Lambertson, published about three days ago. It's got a picture of Lilith staring at some kind of crystal. Um, so I'll read you a little bit from this one. Diablo 4, the latest in the popular dungeon-crawling ARPG from Blizzard Entertainment, offers players a classic feel familiar to those who have played the previous entries, th though with an even darker tone than ever before. The sadness and horrors of the world are immediately evident in the opening Diablo 4 cinematic, and there is no denying that Sanctuary is no longer its namesake from the gloom and despair that has encompassed the world. The satisfying hack and slash mechanics and feeling of power triumphantly returns as players take on the role of the wanderer to bring a little glimmer of hope back to this world. Uh, okay, I'm seeing problems here. Um, Sanctuary was very briefly a paradise in the lore of the Diablo world, um, universe, whatever. Then it went really bad. L long story short, and again, read the thing that Nineball wrote, because he's amazing, but basically, short shortest version of this if you don't know it yet, there was, there's an internal conflict. The angels and the demons fought each other over and over again. Never never ended. This was going to go on eternally, basically. And sometimes one side would win, sometimes the other. You get that. And Lilith captured... Well, someone captured Anarius. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. Lilith got a hold of him, decided, hmm, I can use this person. And set him free to go back to the angels because the two of them had been talking. And they decided, you know what? Both of us are really sick of all of this fighting over and over again. And Lilith was like, my dad is never going to stop. So, you know, and I don't want any part of this. We should try to go somewhere else. And so she set Anarius free to go back and convince some renegade angels to come to a place where they wouldn't have to be involved in the eternal conflict. And Lilith brought some of the demons for that. They grabbed the world stone brought it over somewhere else, made a world that was sanctuary, and the angels and the demons started hooking up and making babies who were very strong, and those were the Nephilim. And after a while, um, Anarius was like, yeah, you know, these kids are way too strong. This is a bad idea. We should never have done this. Started trying to slay all of them. Lilith didn't like this, obviously, and got mad and, you know, yelled at him to stop doing that. Uh, meanwhile, his son, their son, uh, named Lenarius at first, who changed his name to Rothma, because of course you're going to change your name when both, you know, you're named after pieces of both of your parents' names, and they're both toxic, so you go and change your name. Anarius didn't want to kill Lilith, so he banished her to somewhere, and it kind of went from there, and then he started slaying more of them, and it just, it gets kind of messy from that point on, <laughs> and, uh... Eventually, you know, the demons knew what was going on. They were there earlier than when the angels found this place. And Tyrael then broke the world stone to make it not have such strong Nephilim or whatever they were. Whatever they were called at that point in time. And there was a bargain made that uh, the angels would give Mephisto, Lilith's dad... Anarius, and he was tortured for a very long time, and if you've played any part of the beta that mentions some of this stuff, Lorith Nath has a great line that says something like, well, if you've been tortured for centuries in hell, you become an ass. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. That's what this is, so... Mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it just feels kind of like 
<laughs> this paragraph is close enough, but it, it's leaving a lot out, and I don't know how much time this person had to write because everyone's writing their things. It is my understanding that the people that got into like a pre-beta thing had, you know, were able to like, I think these people are Diablo partners and that's cool. They could make their content, but not release it until like maybe yesterday or the day before. So yeah, there's not a lot they could do. So this one probably missed some things in there, but anyway. Um, and then there's minor spoilers in this article with some really cool graphics from the game, pictures and stuff like that. So if you want to see that, it's there. It's a decent article, but yeah, there's spoilers in this one specifically. So, you know, read at your uh, own, you know, at your own pace or not at all or whatever you'd like. Windows Central has an article titled, Does Diablo 4 Support Crossplay and Cross Progression? Written by Brendan Lowry about a day ago. Uh, it does say in here, Diablo 4 supports full crossplay and cross progression across all of its platforms. This means you can play the game with people using platforms different than your own, and you'll also be able to keep and synchronize your progress if you choose to play on multiple platforms. It does say, remember, use the same Battle.net account. If you're planning on taking advantage of cross-progression, it's crucial that you use the same Battle.net account on each of your platforms in order for progress to sync between them. If you log in with an alternate account, you'll be stuck with a completely different save. So that's important to know. Uh, I'll be playing on an Xbox. I, I have a Mac. Diablo 4 doesn't play on a Mac. So I'll just be on an Xbox and I'm hoping to figure out how I can maybe play with other people because I am very aware that a wonderful person in the Shattered Soulstone Discord made a clan for Shattered Soulstone. And uh, so you can probably look that up. I think some of them are already playing because I think they bought like the bigger boxes and stuff and they're having a good time. I'll get there eventually and I'll try to see if I can figure out how to get the battle net to hook up to the xbox unless i already did that and forgot but basically yeah then we have the kfc thing which kind of was you know the title of the show uh just to be silly it was hella spicy so that's yeah this is where it comes from this is an article from wowhead posted four days ago and it's titled order kfc sandwiches online to earn diablo 4 in-game cosmetics it's pretty much what this is about uh, it started, this uh, thing started on May 29th, and you have to, you had to order a sandwich or sandwich combo meal via the KFC website or KFC app to receive the first code. And then on May 30, players can link their KFC accounts to their Battle.net account in order to redeem uh, in-game cosmetic awards. So I think that's, um, it's good through June 2nd, which is to or July. Wow, July 2nd. You can still, if you got one of these KFC things, you know, if you got a sandwich or a combo meal or whatever, um, you can still get these cosmetics if you have a code on whatever the packaging was that came with it. So, yeah, there's there's different things in here. Um, they have some one, two, three, there's five. There's like five things. They look like weapons. I'm not really sure what they're for, but there's that. So you can still do that if you have like a code from this uh, offer. Joseph Priapora, associate, if I'm saying that right, associate game director on Diablo 4, posted on May 29th a very black and white dramatic picture of Lilith uh, with something behind her. Looks like she's in a stadium or something like that. And he said, just under 80 hours until the early access launch of Diablo 4. And I have seen a lot of excited people about this right before it launched and even after. GameSpot has an article titled Diablo 4 gets live action trailer directed by Oscar winner, winner Chloe Zhao. And then under it, it says, 
I think we need a full-length Diablo movie now, Blizzard, which, hey, maybe. Written by Haley Williams on May 25th. I'll read you a little bit of this. Blizzard has released a new trailer for Diablo 4 ahead of its launch on June 6th, featuring epic live-action scenes directed by Oscar winner Chloe Zhao. The trailer is called Saviors Wanted and features the NPCs of the Diablo universe calling out to the protagonist, or rather, the player, for help. Quote, working with Blizzard, we had the wonderful opportunity to bring the dark, thrilling, and imaginative world of Diablo 4 to life, Zhao said of her work on the trailer. Diablo fans are very passionate, and many have been with the game for over two decades. We want to do right by the fans, honor the game's rich lores and visceral world building while evoking the strong emotions the players feel while immersing in the game. It appears there's a video for this on this website, but my computer's not seeing it. So it was also on Twitter, so you can look there too. And it just says, The trailer intersperses cries for help from the besieged inhabitants of Sanctuary with epic shots of heroes doing their best to fight off hordes of horrific monsters. It closes out with a shot of Lilith, the Blessed Mother, that'll make you wish there was more to the live-action Diablo universe. And it went out to 20 different countries when it was uh, first released. Maybe maybe we will get a Diablo movie. We got a Warcraft movie, right? All right, so if you're still playing Diablo Immortal, and I kind of stopped for a while because I've been busy doing TTRPG stuff instead, to be quite honest. I'll get there eventually. On May 26th, the Diablo Immortal portion of the Blizzard website wrote a uh, title, Lilith's Disciples Unleash Hatred in Diablo Immortal. And this is, let's see, Sanctuary's adoration for their blessed mother, Lilith, has quickly grown in intensity. On June 8th, Lilith's favor will rain down on her children, unleashing a new diabolical event, Legendary Gem, Battle Pass, and Phantom Market. Our fourth major update, Destruction's Wake, is currently being forged by the fires of the Burning Hells. On June 13, we'll divulge all its offerings in a new blog, but for the time being, read on to see what fiendish activities your mother has in store. There is an a legendary item called Mother's Lament. I have no idea how you get it. It looks like it's really good. There's a gem. Apparently a new gem in here, I think. Uh, it says Lilith's influence is widespread. Her devotees will go to any length to worship their matriarch, even tainting trinkets in her honor. In celebration of Diablo 4's release on June 6, we are introducing a new legendary gem on June 8th. The below values for this gem reflect its power at rank 10. It is called Mother's Lament, a two-star gem. When you deal damage, you have a 20% chance of gaining maternal disdain. Wow. <laughs> That's going to like hurt some people personally, I think. Um, <laughs> increasing your critical hit chance by 32% for six seconds cannot occur more than uh, more often than once every 20 seconds. When Maternal Disdain ends, you release a blood spike toward nearby enemies, dealing 54% base damage to any enemies it hits and also cause them to bleed. Then there is the Merciless Monstrosity Limited Time Event. It looks to me like... Oh, it is! It's a Shava! <laughs> if you were in the... Um, in any of the previous like betas in the server slam... 
that's a Shava. It might look different in Diablo Immortal slightly, but that's what this is. So this is what it says. A Shava, a whirlwind of pestilence, has recently emerged in Sanctuary. This gargantuan plague bearer wreaks havoc with her two massive forearm blades and ability to coat the ground in a viscous poison. If you are at least level 30, have the guts to face the Shava and come out on top, you'll earn 10 Mark of Pestilence, 1 Toluic Pearl, Toluric? Toluric Pearl? 50 scrap materials and three enchanted dust for your first kill. Three additional marks of pestilence can be earned from completing the uh, completing elder rifts up to twice per day, and a shava can be killed once a day for 10 marks. One mark of pestilence can be traded for a random reward, which could be 1,000 gold, five scrap materials, three enchanted dust, a glowing shard, or a one-star legendary gem. Rack up 88 marks of pestilence, and you can trade them for a random legendary item. This exchange can only be performed once. And then there's um, keys and marks and things like this and how many you need to trade in to get the gem. You need to trade in uh, 6,888,888 marks to get a Mother's Lament two-star legendary gem. Yep. It's a lot. That's the highest one. The lowest one in here is 20 Aspirance Keys or Aspirance Keys for 888,888 marks. Um, yeah, this seems difficult <laughs> to me. Uh, it's going to start on June 8th at 3 a.m. to June 22, 3 a.m. server time. There is also a battle pass called Children of Lilith. And there's some cosmetics I think you can get from this. What is this exactly? Yeah, it's cosmetics. There's a shop. We kind of know how that goes. The thing that they're showing is kind of interesting. It's got some, like, red stuff going on in there. And, you know, that sort of thing. That one is going to be from June 11, 3 a.m. to June 29, 3 a.m. Players have to be level 30 and higher, or who are level 30 and higher, will receive a 100% bonus to all Battle Pass experience gains. And then we have Hatred's Heritage Phantom Market. What the heck is this? Okay. <laughs> there are, uh, there's a picture here, like a drawing, with several characters. I believe they're all women from the way they're looking. A lot of this has, like, the horns on their head that, like, Lilith has, and the uh, costuming in a way that kind of, it's not exactly Lilith's outfit, but it's iterations thereof. So a new phantom market offering a cosmetic set born from hatred incarnate, Lil incarnate Lilith starts on June 8 at 3 a.m. server time using Obols, O-B-O-L-S. Players will purchase the ability to draw one item at random from the available item pool. There are 10 items total and each can only be acquired once. Each time you draw an item, the cost of the next draw will increase. What? <laughs> Isn't that kind of backwards? I mean... <laughs> um, yeah, so you go, you bring these obols, you get a thing. There's ten of these things you need to get, and the cost increases every time you get one? Shouldn't that be like, like the cost should go down? As you keep buying? I mean, wow, this is weird. This is really, really weird. Okay, sure. 
Um, performing 10 draws guarantees that you will receive all items available in the Phantom Market because there's 10 items total, including the Hatred's Heritage Cosmetic Set, which can be used with all of Diablo Immortal's classes. The cosmetic set also boasts a tailored visual effect when you rack up a kill streak against Hell's Minions. Obels can be purchased with Eternal Orbs, and any unspent obels will be converted into platinum once the Phantom Market event ends on July. July 6 at 2.59 a.m. server time, all players will receive enough obols for a free first draw. These are automatically added to your account. Okay, so what is this then? You get enough obols for a free first draw, but then everything gets more expensive after that? I'm a little confused. Who wrote this? I mean, come on. So there's a list here of the percentage chance of getting different pieces of this armor, and yeah... That's, I'm a little confused. Um, I'm a little confused. I'm not really sure if I'm gonna do this, but it's there. I, I cannot keep up with like, it's the seasons in Diablo Immortal. I just can't keep up with anymore. Windows Central has a helpful article titled How to Get All Diablo 4 Pre-Order Bonuses, Mounts, Armor, Emotes, and More, written about nine hours ago by Rebecca Spear. It says, get your goodies and stand out in Diablo 4, and there's specific things in here of how to unlock the pre-order mounts and everything else, so um, and where you got to go to get some of these things and that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but if you're looking to get all of the things, this would be a good article to at least take a look at. Windows Central has an article titled, It's Only Day One for Diablo 4, but a patch has already nerfed some classes and made Endgame harder. Written by Rebecca Spear, same person as the other one. Under it, it says the Lilith won't go easy on you. What you need to know. Here's a couple of little bullet points. Diablo 4 officially launches on June 6. However, anyone who bought the Ultimate Edition gained early access on June 2. Blizzard has already released a 1.0.2 hotfix along with patch notes showing changes that have been made to the game. These changes include reducing the power of certain sorcerer, barbarian, and rogue abilities and also make the end game harder. So that's what you need to know. There is an official post connected to this, which I might have over here somewhere. Let's see. Maybe not. Yeah, so it's in there. I'll just read about the uh, read you the parts of what's in here about the official post. Uh, today, in, a, in an official post, Blizzard listed all of the key changes made in Diablo 4's 1.0.2 update, which are now live. These include making it so that the Sorcerer's Flame Shield enchantment goes on full cooldown after use, and also making it so that the Rogue's Inner Sight experiences a four-second delay before being able to be used again. Additionally, the Barbarian's Shout skill cooldown reduction affix has been altered so that it no longer appears on items. These adjustments could affect anyone playing these Diablo 4 classes who will need to think differently about how to employ these skills in battle from the way they did so in the previous beta or server slam. So there's that. There's also a hotfix. Let's see. It's a it's a 1.0.2 hotfix. The health of monsters in later world tiers has also been increased, which means they will be harder to kill and will make the end game more of a challenge for players. Rolling Stone has an article titled, The Creators of Diablo 4 Want You to Go to Hell, which they do. <laughs> it's written by Christopher Cruz on May 26. There's a very angry Lilith face, which so many game writers have used as, you know, Diablo 4 was getting ready to release and before that. Okay, so this is written by Christopher Cruz, as I just said. To a certain kind of gamer, Diablo is sacrosanct. 
Arriving for PC in 1997, the first game in the series evoked all the most hellacious phantasmagoria and dreamt up ever dreamt up in a basement-bound Dungeons and Dragons campaign, neatly packaged in an endlessly replayable hack-and-slash RPG. A smash hit, its publisher Blizzard Entertainment would quickly follow with 2000's Diablo 2, and that's where things really began to heat up. The highest-selling PC game ever at the time, Diablo 2 would help cement the legacy of the series as both highly influential and unassailable, at least for those first two games. As the developers would find out 12 years later when releasing Diablo 3, the fans had a very specific idea of what the franchise was supposed to be, and anyone who's ever spent time at an internet cafe or toiled away at an overnight land party knows that these fans take it very seriously. But here we are, over a quarter century since its initial release, and like plenty of other legacy series this year, the franchise is returning from the dead once more. Following the celebrated remaster Diablo 2 Resurrected, which paved the way with good intentions, Diablo Diablo 4 is primed to bring cooperative dungeon crawling back in all its glory, and I'll leave you to read the rest if you care to. IGN has an article titled, Diablo 4's Gothic Art Style Finally Reclaims the Series Identity, written by Matt Perslow on May 28th. It had an update from May 27th, I guess. When Diablo 3 was first revealed in 2008, the internet lost its collective shit. Thousands of fans signed petitions and rallied against the game, demanding that Blizzard made a change. Why? Because Diablo 3, in a departure from its predecessors, looked like a, quote, cartoon, end quote. Prior to Diablo 3, Blizzard's action RPG series had a distinctly gothic visual palette. The stones that walled the dungeons of Diablo 1 and 2 were dark, and the shadows in their crevices even darker. The light generated by flickering flames or bolts of magical lightning illuminated a grim fantasy world with a realistic texture. Well, at least as realistic as PCs of the late 1990s could render, Diablo 3, though, looked like a horror fantasy comic book. Its world glowed with eerie, saturated colors. Its characters were built of exaggerated angles and oversized pauldrons. Its textures were hand-painted reimaginings of the natural world. Quote, it's a stylized feel, and in that sense, it's a very sort of Blizzard philosophy, said lead producer Keith Lee in an interview with MTV back at the time. It was that Diablo 3's and that was Diablo 3's problem. It was too Blizzard, or to be specific, it was too World of Warcraft. The two games undeniably spoke a similar visual language, and fans lamented that Blizzard's colossally popular MMO behemoth was apparently eroding away the gothic menace of its stablemate. The studio's two fantasy settings began to look like companions rather than distinct universes, but despite the protest, Blizzard refused to shift its design goals. When Diablo 3 launched in 2012, it even featured a secret level filled with rainbows and unicorns named Whimsyshire as a way to poke fun at its detractors. And now it goes into talking about Diablo 4, and, you know, I'll leave you to read some of that. And then we have this thing on the Diablo account, which appears to be using a visage of, or visage of Lilith, and it says this, Think you can cheat death? Reach level 100 on hardcore mode and tweet hashtag Diablo 4 hardcore with proof to have your username immortalized on a statue of Lilith. Offer limited to first 1,000. Restrictions apply. There's a link to something. Get started on June 1st. So let's see what that link goes to real quick. So that's what this was. This is the official Diablo account saying 1,000 people have the opportunity to get their name marked on a Lilith statue from the look of the art they selected. 
And if you have been following along on Diablo stuff on Twitter, you may have noticed that Maxroll had something to say about this. And the Maxwell account on Twitter wrote this on May 27. Hi all, today it was brought up that those with early access to review Diablo 4, parentheses, most of the Maxwell team, end of parentheses, would have an unfair advantage in Blizzard's upcoming Diablo 4 launch race. We agree with this sentiment. And although we will be racing alongside everyone, we will not be claiming any prizes for it. We love that Blizzard is promoting competition in their games and want to see more of it in the future. We're looking forward to an even playing field in Season 1, where we can test our abilities against everyone. Happy blasting and enjoy the game, whether you're racing or not. See you on the 30th for our new site launch, the Maxroll Diablo 4 team. So that's pretty cool. Somebody else said that they were going to step down from the race. A few others you know, are talking about this kind of thing. There's a comment down here from someone named... Okay, there's an account named Parental Advisory. And uh, this one says, Huge integrity behind this choice. I would still rather see Blizzard Entertainment just postpone the event until Season 1 to allow all to com complete without guilt or stigma. He might have meant compete. Uh, actions, or she, I don't know, what parental advisory doesn't really give me a glance as to who's behind it. Um, actions like this lead to any reward earned feeling more empty, knowing that some of the best forfeit forfeited, essentially. And then someone else says, I don't like, talking to Maxwell, I think, I don't like that you have to feel excluded from participating in the competition because you had early access. I think it is unfair the community would be okay with this when the site provides so much knowledge and information publicly for free. I respect the decision to keep, and it goes on from there. But you can support Maxwell. They do have a way for you to make a subscription, I think. I think one of those subscription options is like $1.99 a month or something like that. Or I think it was something like that. And if you want to support these guys, they do great work. I highly recommend checking it out. And if you have a little bit of money to help them out, that would make it more possible for them to do even more great work as time goes on with all the Diablo stuff and whatever else they're doing in there. So based on this kind of uproar on Twitter... There was a post on uh, the Blizzard website in the forums titled Diablo 4 Hardcore Victories Contest Dash Rules, written by Pezradar, community manager for Diablo. And um, so it's the terms and conditions. And you should read this if this is something that you want to do. The offer is only open and offered to individuals who are one. 18 years of age or older, or the age of majority in the relevant jurisdiction, whichever is older as of May 26, 2023. Uh, you also uh, may not be residents of Russia, Belarus, Cuba, Iran, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, Sudan, Crimea, Syria, and any other regions where restricted or prohibited by law. Three, are not residents of the People's Republic of China, which for the purposes of these rules excludes Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. Maintain, four, maintain a Blizzard Battle.net account in good standing in compliance with all applicable terms and conditions at all times during the offer period. Uh, five, uh, own a license to Diablo 4. You have to have the game, right? You can't run through this thing if you don't have the game. Um, and then, uh, looks like... 
five, uh, six have reached a character level of 100 in hardcore mode on Diablo 4 and have earned the tempered champion title in game and seven, six, I don't know, next one, Roman numerals kind of confuse me, uh, were not previously invited to download the pre-release review version of the game during the month of May 2023. You must meet all of the eligibility criteria contained in these terms and conditions to claim this offer. Goes on from there. If you work for Blizzard, this isn't for you. You can't do it. Um, offer may be claimed by eligible individuals beginning on June 1st, 2023 at 4 p.m. PT. The offer will end on September 1st, 2023 at 11.59 p.m. or until 1,000 eligible individuals have claimed the offer, whichever is sooner. Goes on from there. So they have rules about that now. Wowhead wrote an article written by Popular to Polar, something like this. Uh, it's titled Diablo 4 Reviewers Ineligible for Hardcore Race to Level 100 Contest. There's a little bit in here. It's got the tweet embedded in there about, you know, do you think you can cheat death? And it's followed by a tweet from Rod Ferguson, who is like the guy in charge of all the Diablo stuff. And he wrote this, For those wondering about the Hardcore 100 challenge, those that played the review build over the last two weeks are not eligible. Good luck to those that try. I won't because I know I'm going to die. Plus, employees can't participate either. So that was a tweet from them. There's not a whole lot in this article, but it's enough to kind of show that while we're all getting, you know, ready to play the game when we're able to, depending on what level of money you spent on which box, basically, um, there were a lot of people that had a lot of opinions about whether or not someone should be able to do this. Now, it makes sense to not have employees do it because that would be seen as like the company handing it out just to the employees that work for them. And that could be kind of sketchy or maybe not quite illegal. I don't know. But I, okay, I like that the Max Roll group decided, okay, we're going to run this, but we won't accept any rewards. We're just going to run it just for us or just for fun or whatever they're doing with it. And some people were like, yeah, that's a really good thing for you. You could do that. That sounds good to me. But then others were like, no, you should be able to do it anyway. Why should you not have to, you know what I mean? And there was a tweet, I think, I don't know if it's still up from Rod Ferguson, that someone was complaining about not allowing the people that had the, the pre-access to run at all in this contest. And I think he responded to, to something like, I can't remember what he said. It was a little incoherent. It was pretty late at night or early in the morning. So I, and I don't even know if that tweet's still up, but it was kind of like getting a little bit of pushback and then kind of trying to explain it, but obviously very tired. Can you imagine how tiring it must be to try to just get a game of this size out and hope that it goes well? I figure they're all stressed. But then once it launched, everybody's happy. A lot of devs are happy. They're all finding their names listed in the here's who worked on the game kind of stuff. I think that part's cool, but it's just like, it could have got really, really heated, and I think it's kind of blown over. Uh, Windows Central has another article titled Best Diablo 4 Barbarian Leveling Build and Skills, Aspects, Arsenal, Gear, and Gems, written by Bre Brendan Lowry about nine hours ago. This is a very recent article. Uh, become an unstoppable juggernaut with this amazing Diablo 4 Barbarian Build which I might look at because I really like playing Barbarians. There's base stats, descriptions, how to play the Barbarian and Fury explained, all this stuff. So if you're new to this, 
this would probably be a pretty good article to, to work from because it's kind of simplified. Pretty easy to access. Yeah, stuff like that. I'll probably read it over before I get into the game on June 6th. PC Games N has an article titled Best Diablo 4 Builds from Blizzard Devs and Our Experts. PC Games N asked several Blizzard devs about the best D4 builds. So if you're looking for a skill set that has their seal of approval, keep reading. And this is written by Lauren Bergen about 15 hours ago. And there's stuff in here for everybody. Um, they talked to Joe Shelley for the best Diablo build. He's the game director. You've seen him in some of those videos talking about Diablo 4. And he's talking about the sorcerer. Adam Z. Jackson's best Diablo 4 build, lead class designer. And he is talking about the Druids. Melissa Corning's best Diablo 4 build, lead game producer, story and narrative. And this one is about the Sorceress. Uh, Ash Sweetring Vicky's best Diablo 4 build. For She's a dungeon producer. And she likes the rogue, so this is about the rogue. Lauren Bergen's best Diablo 4 build, and not a dev, just a writer. And they like, um, which one are they talking about in here? Twisting Blades Rogue. Yeah, and then how to make the best Diablo 4 build, and there's some things in here about that, so that's kind of cool. Me, personally, I just go with stuff that I think is going to look fun. <laughs> that's what I use until it's not fun, um, pretty much. Uh, if you don't know, there is a skill tree, a very, very big skill tree in Diablo 4, and if you played in some of the betas, or at least the second beta, the open beta, and I think the server slam, you could kind of pick and choose which of these you want to stick uh, points into. So this is titled, Diablo 4 Skill Tree Calculator Updated, Full, full Class Mechanic Support, Up-to-Date Tooltips, posted four days ago by Verid. And this thing is massive and it unlocks different parts. So if you, you know, you might want to go in with an idea of what class you want to play. And once you've got that and you're thinking, yes, this is the one for me, eventually you're going to start gathering points. You could stick in on this gigantic skill tree. And some of them are like the big skills that you definitely should pick up. And some of them are branch off into smaller like versions of the skill that you picked. Like there's an example here for enhanced ice shards and how much, you know, chance it has to ricochet to another enemy and this type of thing. And then there's another skill a little bit higher and I don't know what that's labeled as because it's focusing on the thing I just said. But behind that one are three little icons that look like the first one. So I'm guessing the three little items behind it um, are a way to flavor that skill or something like that. So it's, yeah, take a look at it if this is something you want. There's links to the druid uh, skill tree, barbarian, necromancer, rogue, and sorcerer. So that's in there, and uh, it's something to look at. I mean, I, in the beta and the open, the open beta and the server slam, I kind of just winged it, you know, <laughs> but we'll see. Also from uh, Wowhead, there's a Diablo 4 map uh, map tools highlight written five days ago by Popular Tupular. <laughs> um, I'm having trouble with that name, unfortunately. And there is a map in here, and there's a spoiler warning. It's a map genie that they're using, and 
it's a, a spoiler warning. While Map Genie's interactive map only showcases fractured peaks, the two Diablo 4 interactive maps below reveal the entire explorable content of Estuar. So, yeah, there's a whole bunch of, like, little things on here that look like a Lilith shrine. There's where the dungeons are. There's a whole bunch of stuff, different altar-type things, and it's a lot. It's kind of mind-boggling just to look at from here <laughs> to figure out, like, where are all these things. And, you know, there is, if you haven't been in the betas or the server slam, it is a good idea to find the Lilith shrines and tag them, like, just grab them, because it tends to give you and other players on your realm or server a way to get like some extra like you'll get an extra skill level for a little while or or something and it's kind of random there is also the season blessings blessings explained the diablo 4 battle pass which i don't know anything about so i'm going to look at this a little more closely this was posted 13 days ago by uh, jez artros and it's got a picture here like we have uh it looks like this one might be a necromancer and it says earn of aggression, um, level zero to four, boost to boost to XP earned from monster kills, earn of bargaining, boost to the amount of gold earned from vendor sales, earn of reclamation, boost the chance of race materials, rare materials, excuse me, from salvage, earn of prolonging, boost the duration of all elixirs, and this is how it goes. I assume there is one tailored to every class. Seasons Blessings are boosts earned through the free tier of the Battle Pass. Players earn Smoldering Ashes as they kill monsters and level up, which can then be spent on bonuses to things such as experience, elixir duration, and salvage yields. Blizzard has been vocal that the Battle Pass will have no player power locked behind microtransactions, and the Season Blessings seem to be their solution. While keeping all earnable ashes on the free tier, every player will have the same access to the Season Blessings system regardless of their price point. To further hammer home the lack of pay-to-win in this system, Blizzard states this in regards to the worry that tier skips could be used to essentially speed through the collection of ashes. Here's what Blizzard said. Which person from Blizzard? I don't know, but a lot of it is in blue ink or blue color. And it says, since season blessings affect gameplay, you must meet certain character level requirements to claim the smoldering ashes needed to apply blessings. This ensures they are earned by achieving gameplay requirements and there is no advantage gained from purchasing tier skips. There is the third and fourth episode of the book of lorath which is on youtube under the the diablo channel it's got some art in there it's got the same voice actor that you hear or heard in the betas and the server slam with lorath nath and his amazing voice and so the third one is called the lord of terror and then there's a fourth one called the end of days and it's got a drawing of deckard kane and you know his adopted daughter <laughs> so that's that's a thing i think this might be the last one but i'm not sure it's oh it is the final tale this is the last one so there's four videos um it's a good way for people who are new to diablo games or were too young to remember playing through the original versions of older ones that have some of them have been redone um so you can just kind of find out what's going on. Who's this guy? Why is he? Is this his kid? Why? You know, that kind of thing with at least looking at this end of days one. It's 
probably a very concise way to obtain some lore so you know about the world a little bit and it's a good idea and the last thing i have for you is from a twitter account called necro and it says daughter of hatred mother of sanctuary i'm going to assume that this is in fact necro's art but i cannot be a hundred percent sure of it and it has lilith with like red wings behind her and then wrapping around you know there's like the black wings that look sort of like a bat she's of course got the horns on her head and the same styling you would think of from what lilith was wearing in the betas and things like that but it's red for the most part she's standing with her arms held out but without the skull that would be like the statue was behind her is a red something that maybe she just walked out of and there's some you know black around it it's the skull images above her on what looks like a mirror or something like that it's pretty neat so i thought it was cool so i could show you guys this in the show notes and that's where i'm going to end this one i hope all of you that got into the to, into the game now that it's launched and you have early access i hope you're having a really good time and i'll i'll find you there eventually i guess i'm probably gonna go really slow with this because i do that with pretty much every video game but i think i'm gonna enjoy it based on my experience in the you know, the betas and the server slam i did push myself really hard through those because i knew it was a time limit and it was only going to be around for a couple days with some of those well with all of those really but with this i feel like i can just kind of go at my own pace and it should be okay and if possible, I'm going to learn how to hook up my Xbox to my Battle.net so I can play with all the people in the Shattered Soulstone Discord. So that's all for me. You have been listening to episode 413 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game, our in-game clan, uh, sorry, our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are able to, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. Activision Blizzard saw. Woo, try that again. <laughs>